So again, lovely to see you all and welcome to our new arrivals. So as most of you know, for most of this year, we have been exploring the same theme. And that theme is taking refuge in Sangha. And Sangha means the community of people who are following these teachings. And we've looked at some of the beautiful qualities of heart and mind that support us to be a community. So we've explored qualities such as generosity and gratitude and kindness and care and compassion. We also touched into some of the potential shadow sides of being in community. So the possibility of perhaps becoming a little bit too cozy or comfortable and making this club of like-minded people that could perhaps lead us to unconsciously avoid conflict of any kind and maybe steer us away from looking at more challenging topics. So in light of that, you may remember a few weeks ago I mentioned how the Dharma, these teachings, can offer us both consolation and confrontation. And those two often come together, consolation and confrontation. And in a similar way, the Sangha, the group, can offer both of those. So in terms of consolation, sometimes we do need what's known as refuge. We need to take respite from all the challenges of the world. And the Sangha can provide us with that opportunity to meet with like-minded people who to some extent share our values and our aspirations, our aspirations to live with more awareness and kindness that I mentioned earlier. And so at those times, Sangha can very much be a place of consolation. It gives us nourishment, maybe even healing, so that we can face the difficulties, the challenges all of us are facing with more ease, more steadiness, more clarity. At other times, we might experience the Sangha, the community, as a place of confrontation, one that wakes us up out of a complacency that we maybe didn't even know that we had. So we might find at times a particular theme or a topic challenges us in some ways. Or we might find ourselves having to engage with someone that we find difficult in some way. Or perhaps we have an interaction with someone that touches a sore spot or a blind spot that needs some attention, some care. So our engagement with a sangha is not just one thing. It can be a, if it's a healthy sangha, it can provide us with a whole spectrum of ways that we experience it from consolation to confrontation and everything in between. So last time I was here, I think it was about a month ago, I invited us to expand the idea of what we mean by community, to include what's becoming known as the more-than-human world. So the more-than-human world is all of the non-human beings, all the different life forms that we share this planet with. And I invited us to recognize that we're part of an entire ecosystem and we're not separate or superior as we often so deeply conditioned to believe. So this evening, in some ways, I'd like to continue where we left off in that last session 
to continue exploring the more than human world and our place in it, and to turn a little bit more directly towards the theme of climate change, to look at it a little bit more directly. And I think that we're ready to do this because we've spent these last few months strengthening our understanding and our experience of Sangha so that we might more easily access our group wisdom, our group compassion, as we begin to explore pretty much the intensity of the challenge of climate crisis. Now, just before we go any further, I'd like to take a moment to pause and just to get a sense inwardly any responses or reactions that you might have to that theme. Now, it's possible some of you might feel grateful because this has been a topic that you've been wrestling with for quite a while already. For others, maybe it's not so welcome. Maybe there's a sense of dislike or irritation or aversion, resistance of some kind. So if that's true for you, there's just the encouragement to see if you can meet that response without judgment. It's normal, natural, to be expected that this is a challenging topic. And my aspiration is to lead us into it in a way that any discomfort that comes up is manageable. So that instead of feeling overwhelmed by it, we might even begin to find some ways where we can make a positive contribution, both within the Sangha here and in our wider community. Okay, so that's what I'd like to start exploring tonight, and we'll see how it goes. So as a way to get us started, I'd like to bring in some of the material from the Active Hope Foundation training that has been put together by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnston. I think most of you are probably familiar with Joanna Macy. She's a U.S. Buddhist scholar and passionate environmental activist. She's been working in this field for decades And it wasn't that long ago that I managed to see her in person. When I was in the U.S., she gave a talk in a nearby town. I was really impressed by her energy, her vitality, her passion, her enthusiasm. And I just found out that she's 93 years old. So she would have been about 90 when I saw her. And I would have said 60 tops. So somehow she's managed to maintain this incredible energy in spite of working in this challenging field. So she and Chris Johnston have put together this uh, foundation training for active hope, and I'm going to draw on that rather than me reinventing the wheel. So I'll read you just a little bit from the preface to the training. It begins by naming some of the dire statistics that I think all of us are familiar with, so I'm not going to read out those dire statistics again. I'll just invite us to, as you listen, to notice, again, those inner responses. It says, those who are younger will experience climate-related changes most, with children born in 2020 between two and seven times more likely than their grandparents to suffer through floods, heat, heat waves, drought, wildflower, crop failures. 
Climate change isn't the only problem we face. Human population and consumption are increasing at the same time as essential resources are in decline. Extreme inequalities on the rise, with more and more richer billionaires accumulating wealth in a world where hundreds of millions of people still starve. While the economic impact of COVID-19 has left many feeling desperate about how they're going to manage, $2 trillion is spent globally each year on preparing for and engaging in warfare. Hope is often thought of as a feeling that things are going to get better. When facing the mess we're in, it's difficult for most of us to have hope. Looking into the future, we can no longer even be certain that our civilization will survive or that conditions on our planet will remain hospitable for complex forms of life. We're starting out by naming this bleak uncertainty as a pivotal psychological reality of our time. Yet because fears for our collective future are usually considered too uncomfortable to talk about, they tend to remain as an unspoken presence at the back of our minds. And we often hear comments such as, don't go there, it's too depressing, or don't dwell on the negative. The problem with this approach is that it closes down our conversations and our thinking. How can we even begin to tackle the mess we're in if we consider it too depressing to think about or discuss? This blocked communication generates a peril even more deadly. For the greatest danger of our times is the deadening of our response. Yet when we do face the mess, when we do let in the dreadful news of multiple tragedies unfolding in our world, we can feel overwhelmed. So this is where we begin, by acknowledging that our times confront us with realities that are painful to face, difficult to take in, confusing to live with. Don't be surprised if you find yourself feeling anxious, defeated, or in despair. There's something else we'd like to bring in alongside this difficult starting point. It's a recognition that when we're at our most exasperated, we can sometimes surprise ourselves. We might discover strengths we never knew we had, or experience a degree of aliveness we'd not even suspected were available to us. Our very act of facing the mess we're in can help us to discover a more enlivening sense of what our lives are about, what we're here to do, and what we're truly capable of. Together, we can explore how to access unexpected resilience and creative power, not just to face the mess we're in, but also to play our part in doing something about it. So, there's a lot there. And I'd like to just give you an overview of the active hope approach, which will hopefully help to make it feel a bit more manageable. So the key steps are starting from where we are, taking in a clear view of the reality we face, seeing what we see, and feeling what we feel. Then we identify what we hope for in terms of the directions we'd like things to move in or the values we'd like to see expressed. 
And then we take steps to move ourselves and our situation in that direction. So we're going to explore this through a combination of some short written exercises and then also some relational practice working together in pairs. And just to acknowledge that we're going to be moving through this pretty quickly. I'm hoping to do it slower than they actually ask us to, but still it will just be, in a way, skimming the surface of this introduction. But it seemed important to me to include all of the steps, because otherwise we can end up opening a can of worms, so to speak, and be left without any way of putting the lid back on, which I don't think is so helpful. So we're going to move through four stages. The first is gratitude. The second is honoring our pain for the world. The third is seeing with new eyes. And the fourth is going forth, going forward. And at each stage there will be specific questions that I'll offer to you as prompts to help you reflect on the theme and to stay steady with it. So we're going to move into pairs shortly. We'll begin with written, the written contemplations first. But I'm going to invite us to move into pairs now in the room, and I'm going to keep you on Zoom together for the written exercises, and then I'll move you into pairs when we come to the next stage. So if you are here in the room, I invite you now just to find a partner to work with and then set yourself up around the room, sitting together on the same level. Okay? Thank you. We begin with gratitude as this helps to resource us, puts us into a stronger starting point to face the disturbing information. Gratitude also reminds us of our interdependence, of ways we receive from others. Evolutionary psychologists identify gratitude as a social emotion that increases our desire to give back to the communities and networks of support that we receive from. There are two sides to gratitude, appreciation and thankfulness. To experience appreciation as a written exercise, see what words naturally follow the start of a sentence that begins with the words, I love dot, dot, dot. So you're invited to name what you love, appreciate, relish, and delight in. might include people, places, experiences, qualities, anything that follows the words, I love. And you'll have just two minutes to write that down. Okay, so the next question is in relation to thankfulness. You're invited to see what words naturally follow the sentence starter, I'd like to thank dot dot dot. Who or what have you received from in ways that support you? See how it feels to name and thank them, writing it down again, just two minutes. Okay. So when we give attention to what we appreciate and feel supported by we may also recognize ways that these are threatened by conditions <coughs> less We may also recognize ways that these are threatened by conditions in our world. 
So the next part of the process invites our witnessing of our own or each other's concerns, as well as the feelings that these may arouse. So seeing what words, in a moment, we're going to move into groups on screen as well, but together in the room, seeing what words follow this sentence starter. Looking at the future we're heading into, my concerns include... So, so facing disturbing realities can leave us feeling overwhelmed. If we're to give our best response, it helps to open to perspectives that inspire, empower, and resource us, that open us to a sense of possibility. So one way of doing this is to see what words follow a sentence that starts with, what inspires me is. So what inspires me is. And I will send you back to the same partners. And again, you'll have four minutes each just to speak while the other person listens. And just to acknowledge that we are moving very fast here. But as I said earlier, I wanted to give you a chance to taste the whole process. And perhaps we might come back to parts of it again later. So now we're back in the whole group, in the room and on screen. I'd like to do the last part as the written questions again. And then if there's time at the end, we can have some uh, discussion. But the last three questions. The first question is... Looking at the future we're heading into, what I deeply hope for is. So looking at the future we're heading into, what I deeply hope for is, and we'll have two minutes for that. And then the sixth question is, a part I'd like to play in support of this is. So having considered what we hope, the next part, a part I'd like to play in support of this is. The final prompt is a step I'll take towards this in the next week is. A step I'll take towards this in the next week is. 